I got to work harder today. No mic stand. So, like Pastor has said, we continue this four sermon series. Uh, it's, it's okay, Kaufai, I'm just joking. It's fine. Uh, I have to work harder. And today we want to talk about strengthening relationships. We've talked about our schedules, our work, our finances. And a lot of us know these are significant drivers in our lives, right? They drive your life. And you will agree that actually, if you have not already given up on people, that relationships sometimes requires more heavy lifting than managing your schedule, than your work, than your finances. In fact, sometimes relationships are the prime movers behind how we spend our time, how hard we work, and how we manage our finances. The parents around us, their schedule is often dictated by the timetable of their kids. Some of us actually may not work so crazily if there is no one to prove a point to. Some of us may not spend the way we do if there was no one to show off our possessions to or there was no better life that we are planning for our children. I recently have a, I found out from a colleague recently that he has uh, adult asthma. And until he told me he had it, I always, in my ignorance, assumed asthma was something you had as a kid. He did not have asthma as a kid. In fact, he was a school swimmer, so he had great lungs. Now, how did he get his adult asthma? He believed it was because he contracted pneumonia when he was studying in the U.S. What happened was uh, his girlfriend's 21st birthday was around the corner, and this was in winter. And um, he wanted to get her 21 roses. Now, uh, he underestimated both the cold outside and he also underestimated the distance to the florist. So he ran out, he got the roses and he also got pneumonia. You know, relationships, they sometimes can literally take our breath away. So if we want to simplify, if we want to be singular in our pursuit of God's kingdom, we cannot avoid talking about relationships. It is one of the elephants in the room. Because relationships, if they are done right, can exhilarate, it can encourage, it can edify us. But we also know relationships can entangle us. They distract us. And in some of our cases, they mess us up big time. Now, why are relationships important? There, there may be some of us who think that relationships are just not worth the time. But if you read the Bible from the beginning to the end, and if you're honest about it, it will be quite difficult to miss the restorative agenda of God. God restored us to relate to us. God commits to relationship. And in fact, as Minwe has said just now, while we were yet sinners, He died for us. He has quite heavily invested in relationships. You know, Matthew 18.5 and Matthew 5.23-24, these are, these are fairly familiar verses about how we should deal with offense. Relationships, when, when someone offends us or when we offend someone, they say, quickly go and fix it. Uh, I call them restorative verses. 
And, and the fact that they are even there shows you the value that God places on right relationships. So because God has invested heavily in relationships, those who are in the financial industry, we know you follow the smart money. Relationships, relationships are important because God invests heavily in it. Now let's look at how Jesus conducted his relationships because Jesus is our role model. How did he conduct his relationships? There's an incident when Jesus was preaching and he was told while he was talking to the people that his mother and his brothers were here looking for him. And this is, this is what he said. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So for Jesus, the basis for relationship is what? Is God. The basis for relationship is God. What, what, what do I mean? The criteria Jesus uses to measure intimacy, meaning whether this is a person that I allow into my inner circle, the criteria that Jesus used is, does God feature big in the life of this person? Does God feature big in the life of this person? His relationships, Jesus' relationships are ordered around that. These are my mother, these are family to me. If they do the will of God, if God features big in their lives. And there's another example in Matthew 8.21, when he called a young man, follow me. And the young man said, first let me take care of my father, let him age, and let me bury him, then I follow you. And because, and you know Jesus' Jesus's answer, right? Jesus' answer to him was, um, let the dead bury the dead, you follow me. And again, this, this, this really shows how in Jesus' life, all other relationships are subordinate to the relationship with God. God takes preeminence over all relationships. And this is really important because some of us are really driven by the relationships we have on earth. I just read um, a tragic case of a poor girl I suppose she's 16 years old. O-levels. She got two Bs and all straight A's. She jumped to her death. She jumped to her death because uh, she was driven by a very pressurizing relationship with her mom, who expected no less than all straight A's. Are we ordered by our relationships? Or, our, or are our relationships ordered by God? So that, that kind of sets the stage. Relationships are important. We follow the smart money. God invests in relationship, and therefore relationships are important. But relationships, the way Jesus, Jesus does it, is relationships must be ordered under God. So what do we need for strong relationships? Today I have three, three Fs to give to you. The first one is forgive. And the Bible says this, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. Sometime back, you may recall, we did this series called The Bait of Satan. Remember or not? You remember? Good. And it was, it was about offense, especially offense in the church. How it is so often a trap 
used by the devil to divide and to conquer us. And it is true. Those of us who have been offended before you know, it disables us from relating. We look inward. We build up walls to protect ourselves from further hurt when we're offended. We isolate. We withdraw. You know, many years back when I was just married, there was some incident between my wife and I that got me upset. Uh, Upset enough to complain to my brother-in-law, Jeffrey, uh, at church. I saw him walking around, so I went up to him and said, I want to complain. And after hearing my complaint, my brother-in-law said, seriously? He did not mean that the issue was serious. Quite the contrary, he was asking if such a small issue seriously bothered me. Now that upset me even more. But as I processed, as I thought through, thank God good sense finally prevailed that indeed the issue was so insignificant that today I cannot even recall it. I can only recall (laughs) that I was offended, but I cannot recall the issue. And I can recall talking to Jeffrey about it. And so there will be that kind of offense in our lives, the not-so-serious kind. But sometimes we react disproportionately to it. And for that, we just need to develop a thicker skin. You just have to do that. Overlook, move on, let it go. That's if you're on the receiving end. But unfortunately, sometimes we are the giving end, right? We, we give offense. And we need to be aware, and later on we'll talk about it, that there are some insecurities people around us have that we may not know about. They may be irrational to you, but they are, impo- they, they are big insecurities to the people around us. And much as it may not seem serious to us, it may offend greatly. Let me give you an example. I've seen an older brother. I expected a lot better and a lot more from him. I've, I saw this older brother in the toilet once. Uh, in the name of joking only, he pat a younger brother on his shoulder. This poor younger brother was washing his face. And he pat him on the shoulder and he said, no need to wash, uh, it's not going to help much. Uh, I honestly find that quite foolish and quite unwise. This, this, is a, this was a teenager. This was a, a young person. And I, I set a golden rule and I want to encourage you to set this golden rule that when it comes to jokes, a joke should not be at the expense of anyone else except yourself. Right. If, you, if you set that golden rule, I think you'll be okay. Heed my mother's advice. She always told me, Vincent, if you don't open your mouth, no one will say you are dumb. So sometimes you just got to keep quiet and not say these silly things and say joking only. But that, that is uh, the lower hanging fruit. Maybe some of us need to develop a thicker skin, move on. Some of us need to be careful and not be too flippant in our jokes. But there could be more serious offences. We know that. Betrayals, grave injustices, deep hurts. For those, it is not just about having thick skin and letting it go. You know, the story of Joseph in the Bible is a familiar one. Betrayed by his own brothers, his own brothers actually said this, Come, let us now kill him and cast him into a pit. We shall see what will become of his dreams. They were out to destroy him, these brothers. These were the closest of the Lord, right? I mean, who, who is closer to you than your own family? And it's deliberate. It's not accidental. 
It is deliberate. They wanted him to fail and not to succeed. Now I want to ask, when they did that, do you think God in heaven looked at Jesus and the Holy Spirit and said, Shucks, what do we do now? Look what his brothers have done. They have ruined our plan for Joseph. We better think of something quick. Do we have an alternate plan? Do you think that's what, what, what happens when, when these things happen in our lives, that, that God presses the panic button and, 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 for example, if someone has lost his job, we may think of God saying, Jesus, Jim just lost his job because someone told a vicious lie about him in the workplace. Do you have another position for him open down there? Is that how God reacts? You know, the Bible tells us our God is never taken by surprise. God is never caught unawares. If you go back and read Psalm 2, it says, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Let's come back and look at Joseph. Joseph, at the end of it, said this, So then, it was not you. Yes, you planned it, you schemed it, you were motivated by hatred, but then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Another one from the psalmist. And they sent a man before them, Joseph, And he sent a man before them. Who is he? God. God sent a man before them. Joseph sold as a slave. You need to understand this today. No mortal man, no devil can supersede the plan of God for your life. And you need to say amen to that. No mortal man or devil can supersede the plan of God for your life. And if you lay hold of this truth, it will set you free. God does not panic and say, Sharks, what do we do with Joe now? The brother caught me unawares. I got to fix this. No. From the beginning, it was God engineering, moving. God is in charge. So I don't want to be flippant about this, that deep offences can be easily overlooked. They, They cannot. Those of us who have been deeply offended before, you know that. But I want, you to, I want to encourage you with the example of Joseph that God's plan for you has not been superseded by that betrayal. God's plan for you has not been superseded by that offense, that accident, that horrible thing that just happened to you or your loved ones. The story hasn't ended. And God assures us the story ends well. That's why Jesus could say on the cross, all these people who murdered him and tortured him, Jesus could say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because he knows amidst all that mayhem and that madness and that darkness, God is still in charge. The story has not ended, and the story ends well. It may be, for some of us, a long route to ultimately forgiving the offender. It is is wrong to think that you forgive people in an instant. Some things 
take a long time and it is a journey. But I want to encourage you today if you are in that position, whether the offence is with people or you're offended by what God has done to you or allowed in your life, I want to encourage you today to start resolving to begin that journey to forgiveness. Somebody said holding on to anger, holding on to bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It doesn't happen that way. You drink poison, you die. So forgive so the walls can come down, harbour bitterness, and we cannot grow. So that's the first thing, to strengthen our relationships. Forgive. The second is a bit related, but may not be totally related as well. It is fear not. The other wall that that hinders our ability to relate to one another at a deep level is the wall of fear and insecurity. I may have shared this with you all before. When I was in secondary three, uh, 15 years old, I was doing well in school. I was okay. And in fact, I was doing quite well. But one day near to the exam, uh, it was an evening, a friend called me to ask me some chemistry question. And I could not answer him. I haven't gotten to that chapter or something. I cannot remember. I couldn't answer him. But until today, I can't explain it. I just had this massive panic attack that landed me in a psychiatric ward. Just that innocent, stupid chemistry question that totally flawed me, and I panicked. I was so afraid that I avoided all people. I avoided all my friends. I clung, I was 15 years old, and I clung to my mom everywhere she went. And it was Mooncake Festival, and my mom, my mom makes mooncakes. And everywhere she went in Chinatown to buy the, the stuff and all that, I just, I just follow everywhere she went. And uh, I was given special permission by my principal, okay, you can skip your SAC 3 examinations. Uh, to most people, it was an irrational fear. Ah, you're doing okay, your studies are okay, da, 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 that sort of thing. Yes, 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 the, the logic stacks up. But to me, it was downright real. I cannot explain it. It was, it was panic. The fear of failure, it was crippling. It made me weak and withdrawn. Now, don't get me wrong, there is good fear. Fear that keeps us out of trouble. But there's also destructive fear, fear that handicaps us. This was destructive fear. An example in the Bible of someone who had massive destructive fear and insecurity is a guy called King Saul. Now, Saul, unfortunately, through a series of mistakes in his own life, like some of us, now he began to wander away from God. And he was twisted up inside with a strong sense of foreboding, a strong sense of insecurity. You know, the insecurity led him to pursue one of his most loyal soldier. You know that one, right? His most loyal soldier was David. He pursued him for 14 years. This thing ate him up inside for 14 years. He nearly killed his son, Jonathan. He threw a spear at him when Dave, uh, Jonathan spoke up for his friend, David. He went to um, the priests, 85 of them. He slaughtered all of them because they were kind to David. And he didn't stop there. He went to their families and he slaughtered all the priests' families. Tragic record of what insecurity and destructive fear, if we don't deal with it, it can do to a man and those around him. 
You know, Saul's trouble started when a prophet told him that the, your kingdom will go to someone else, that you lost it because of your disobedience. But have you wondered how the story would be different if Saul had repented? And we have, and we have cases in the Bible where we're very how the story would be different if he repented. And then he mentored David and nurtured David to be the next king. If only Saul realized that there's a lot more to life with God besides being a king. You know, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. Because while faith helps us look far, fear clouds our line of sight. Left unchecked, it will breed distrust of those around us. It will increase our sense of desperation. You know, when I succumbed to that intense, overwhelming fear when I was in secondary three, I withdrew and pushed away all my good friends. They all wanted to come and help me. I told them all to go away. I only clung to mum. And I believe I gave mum a really hard time. Now, when I was excused from my exam, the fear lifted because no exam, I'm very happy. Then I received help from a psychiatrist. But when the SEC4 exams drew near, guess what? The dark clouds came again. Deja vu. But somehow within me, I believe it was the Holy Spirit who taught me to stop looking at my navel in self-pity and to face my fears, to grit my teeth and take the exam. So with fear and trembling, I took the exam. And that when I did it, I was liberated. I did okay for the reason. I didn't, I didn't score straight A's or whatever. I was never that kind. But I did okay. But since that day, the fear broke. As far as I can recall, one of the things that really helped me in my journey out of that crippling fear was mom. Her love was unwavering. Her support was unstinting. She never criticized me once that why I was such a wimp. She told me, we sang, okay, that is my name, how I turned out academically didn't matter to her. That I was still her son. That settled me quite a bit. You know, insecurities are real. Yours could be an insecurity arising out of your lack of either status, you think that you lack status. For the young ones, they may think they lack outward appearance and outward appearances matter a lot. Or you may have an insecurity because you lack possessions or achievements. Or it was a past failure that caused you the insecurity. They are real, but underpinning them, the thing that's giving strength to them are often lies. These lies spiral us downward into what I call these absurd sky drop-down scenarios. When these things attack you, you think the sky is going to drop down. For King Saul, we know that huge insecurity led him to picture all kinds of worst-case scenarios that when David becomes king, he's going to slaughter his whole family, he's going to whatever. But you know, the truth, nothing could be further from the truth. David repeatedly spared him. David could kill him many twi twice at least. And he said, no. David loved his son, Jonathan. 
even after Saul and Jonathan were defeated and dead, David took care of Saul's grandson, who was quite a burden because he was crippled. You see, Saul's worst-case scenarios were all lies. It was rubbish. Insecurities blind us to God's truth. And if you are a child of God, a truth you must know is God gives you shalom. Shalom is more than just simply peace. It is a complete peace. It is a feeling of enoughness, contentment, completeness, wholeness, well-being, harmony. It was a bit of that feeling that mom gave to me to say that we sang, you are complete to me with or without these straight A's or lack thereof. You are complete. And I believe it was the shalom that Jesus received when he was so distressed in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he he looked at his impending death and the torture and the scary things that were going to happen, when fear and insecurity threatened to his line of sight, he prayed and the shalom peace, that steadiness in God and God alone, that contentment and completeness and wholeness in God. I believe at that moment, God whispered to him, Son, it's not the end, and it ends well. I'm in charge. God's shalom settles us. It stabilizes us to face the insecurity, the fear. Come what may, there's this wonderful song that says, My anchor holds within the veil. The Word of God tells us that the spirit God gives to us is not one of cowardice. It is not one of timidity. It is one of power and love and self-control. So let these truths permeate our inner being. 2 Corinthians 10.5 is a good one to memorize. Take every thought captive unto Christ. Meditate on them. When the fears hit you again, when they assail you, pray for shalom peace to cover you. Face your fears knowing in Christ we are complete and secure. So the first F, forgive. Deal with that, the grudges. The second, fear, the insecurities. We need to deal with that if you want to relate. Now the last one, filter. What do you mean by filter? As we simplify by throwing out baggages of unforgiveness, destructive fears, insecurities, we are ridding ourselves for meaningful relationships. It's like Chinese New Year. We don't just spring clean. After we spring clean and take the the dirty things out, uh, we fill the house with Chinese New Year thingies, right? We fill it with... I don't know what you fill it with. Uh, I don't know. Actually, I don't fill it with much, but... (laughs) Bakwa, maybe. Barbecue pork. Good things, right? Uh, Pineapple tart. uh, Red cushions. uh, Potted tangerine plants. Uh, that willowy plant, the long, long one with the white, white thing. You know what I'm talking about. You know, you fill it with good things. Chinese New Year. You throw out things, but you also fill it with good things. So as we start spring cleaning internally, as we are challenged here to start spring cleaning internally, we need to heed the advice of Proverbs 12, 26. And I didn't put it up, but I think it's a good one that you should remember. The righteous choose their friends carefully. Let me say that again. 
The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So how do we choose? We've got to choose. You can't just take any Tom, Dick and Harry to be your, to be your inner circle, to be your friend, because they'll eat you up alive. Right? They are, they are draining. They, are, they take their investment. So you better put your money with, with, with where God directs it. And this is, these are the type to avoid. There are six things the Lord hates. hates. Seven that are detestable to Him. So, haughty eyes, proud people, arrogant people. Nowadays, there are a lot. Right? <laughs> a lying tongue. Maybe because they have a lot of stuff nowadays. A lying tongue. Right? Dishonest people. Skirting the truth all the time. Hands that shed innocent blood. Violence. I see a lot of violence nowadays. And, and it's almost normal already, violence. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Exploiters. People are always looking for, for, for schemes to exploit people. Feet, feet that are quick to rush into evil. Same, like exploiters. False witness who push out lies, pours out lies. Gossipers, slanderers. Nothing better to do. Always talk about people. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Divisive people. The Bible tells us the Lord hates these. And if you're smart about it, you want, to put your, you want to follow the smart money, avoid these people. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God is supposed to take us out of the world and we're just supposed to be holy moly and not reach out to the world. That's different. We are supposed to be salt and light helping bringing these people unto Jesus. I'm talking about your inner circle. You know, right? Inner circle. Jesus reached out to thousands but he got 72, then he got 12, then he got 3. That's the mental capacity, of a, uh, emotional capacity of a person. So we're talking about that 72, that 12, and that 3. The people you allow into your lives. But these are just the things to avoid. What are the things that we should look for? Look for this kind. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the friends that we should filter. Because we know, right? We rub shoulders with who? We rub elbows with who? The Chinese, the English, so many different languages have idioms that say you rub shoulders with the kind of people, you become like that kind of people. And so it's important. And I say, start first in our families, spouse, siblings. Strengthen those relationships. While you may have doubts about whether God placed you in your current job or even in your current church, you can be sure He placed you in your current family. That one cannot run. Right? That way you've got no choice. Leadership criteria actually in church. One of the, the, the things we use to evaluate whether people are right for church is how well they manage the family. Right? It's in the Bible. And we, we just need to manage that. We need to manage the people closest to us. We need to strengthen those relationships. So that one is something to think about because many of, our, many of us need to deal with issues with our spouse, with our siblings. But what about in our PPH community, in our church? I want to encourage you to start looking for those relationships in the local church community. Make it a priority. Why? Because, you know, within the limitations you face uh, as a human being, the local church is possibly the best place to look for like-minded people. People for whom God and His values, His kingdom feature big. This is the place. I'm not saying this is the only place, but I suspect it is, for most of us, the place where we are like-minded people. People who are serious about Jesus and God and his kingdom. You just look at Jesus' inner circle, Paul's inner circle. They were not his tennis friends, you know. They were not his colleagues or fellow students. They were the ones who believed the same cause, whose hearts were gripped by the same calling. 
and that was to see God's kingdom advance. This is Jesus praying to God. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as well. You know, we are not called no, to just get along in church. You know. We are called to unite. You know. And, and unit, because unity advances God's kingdom. For reasons unknown to us or unknown to me, God favors unity. He says two or three agree, you'll be agreed. He says two or three gather, I'm there. Why not one? I don't know. Right? But God favors unity. And unity requires work. Unity requires investment, commitment, sacrifice, and focus. And that's why we need to filter. We need to choose our inner circles carefully. The beauty of unity is that the gaps, is the gaps we can fill together that we cannot fill apart. The whole is worth more than the sum of parts. When we come together in strong relationship, it fills the gaps that we cannot fill apart. And the relationships we must choose, please don't to lateral, peer-to-peer. Peer-to-peer comes naturally to mind. But look for relationships above you. Okay, this is an older congregation. Sometimes above don't have already, but uh, slightly above, okay? But more importantly for you, look below. Are you mentoring the young? Look for relationships below you where you can mentor and influence. Titus, go and read Titus 2. It says, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect. Teach the older woman to be da-da-da so that they can also teach the older woman can teach the younger woman so that the older man can teach the younger man. It is that kind of community that the Bible advocates. Be intentional about this. Look to form deep relationships here in PPH. Deep relationships, in my experience, come more often not from just... Let me say that again. Deep relationships come more often than not from working together. Go beyond Sunday lunch or other meals. We, we eat way too much. Really, we eat way too much. Find a group of like-minded people and say, let's do this together. Let's go fill the gap we have in Cool Club where Linda's short of teachers. And, and that's not just an example. That's true. Let's do this. Let's go to fill the gap in Joanne's youth ministry where Joanne could do with more sources. Let's go fill the gap we have in young adults where Chimeng is crying out for influencers among the young adults, either as mentors as CGL. Let's do this. Let's go fill the gap for this poor CGL who has been serving for 17 years without a break. Let's go fill the gap. I just want to invite the musicians to come up because I noticed you are all leaving already. <laughs> you know, as we sweat together, as we pray together, as we get desperate together, as we run around like headless chickens together, as we resolve conflict together, that's how unity develops. And then the world will see that truly Jesus is sent by God and that God is amongst us, loving us. But I want to encourage you, you have to start. You have to start and start now. Invest in your small group. Invest in cultivating the young. Invest in being mentored. But because you have limited time, choose wisely. Don't choose nothing.
So let's just rise as I get midway to lead us in a time. And if you really have to go, you can leave quietly. This is not a relationship management seminar. It is not meant, this is not meant to just help us be good at relationships and the end. You don't look at Daniel, you look at David, you look at Jesus. You notice God drives their behavior, God drives their diet, God drives where they stay, God drives what they do. In Psalm 84, it says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tent of wickedness. It's all, it's all God, God, God. Matthew 6.33, seek ye first. And really it's about that. It's about being singular and being, being clear that I want to cultivate relationships that help me move toward seeking God's kingdom. So let's just worship God together, focus on Him, and um, I'll issue the altar call as we worship. difficulties and you want to deal with them I want to encourage you to come to the altar we want to pray with you there's power in prayer prayer brings the shalom peace of God prayer gives us energy prayer gives us strength so I want to encourage you as we sing that next stanza that you come forward to the altar and the elders will pray for you okay the altar is open come forward who is this king
I before I close in prayer, let's just glorify the Lord where you are. Let's just praise Him. Let's just ask Him to come and give you that shalom peace. Ask Him to come, Holy Spirit, come and spring clean, clean out the the unforgiveness, the bitterness, big or small. The Lord understands. Clean out the insecurities, the fears. The Lord says today to you, my plans for you cannot be thwarted, cannot be fought, cannot be superseded by the circumstances you see in your lives today. Trust me. So place your trust in God. Tell God, Lord, I trust you. I bank on you. I follow you. Father, I pray that you will lead us, Lord, in this church, you will lead us to strong relationships amongst us. Father, I pray that you strengthen the relationships in this church. And Lord, just as you invest, you invested in us, Lord, you continue to invest in us. Give us that holy courage, the bonus, the commitment, Lord, to invest in our brothers and our sisters. I pray that, Lord, we'll put our hand to the plow and we will work toward unity in this church. We pray against every divisive attempt by the evil one in this church. We come against that in Jesus' name. And we pray for every small group, every big group, every ministry, that the unity of Christ will bind and strengthen and by our love for one another, the world will know we are disciples of Jesus Christ. And they will be drawn, Lord, to this community. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the altar is still open. And if you want to come to be prayed for, please come forward. Otherwise, the service is over. Thank you.